I'll be reading from the, there I am. We're reading from New King James this morning, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25. Please follow along. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? May God bless the reading of his word. Would you please join me in prayer? Father heaven, this is your word that's before us. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to, to open up our eyes, to see what you have to say to us in this portion of word. It's important, Lord, so help us to remove the distractions and, and allow you to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, please have a seat. Please have your Bibles open and your outlines nearby. We'll refer to them often. Let's say an evangelist shares the word with you. So an evangelist, that might mean a professional uh, evangelist. Evangelist is the one who presents the good words. So maybe it's a, a pastor, maybe it's a missionary, maybe it's your neighbor. But, but they share with you a gospel message. So gospel means good news. So the good news that they share with you is come to Jesus and all of your problems will go away. And you hear that and you think that sounds like good news. Okay, Jesus loves me. And Jesus will take away all of my problems if I come to him, if I say this prayer. So you're on board with this. So that's the good news that you accept. Coming to Jesus and all of your problems will go away. And you're a patient person. So you wait for an entire year. 365 days. And after being patient for 365 days, you evaluate your life. And you don't have to evaluate very long to realize all of my problems haven't gone away. In some ways, it seems like i got more problems. So you start to reason in your head, how can that be? I was told, I mean, maybe you misunderstood, or maybe it is what they said, but in your understanding, the good news that you accepted was come to Jesus and all your problems go away. So you start to deduce, if I still have problems, what's the problem? Did I not come to Jesus? 
does Jesus not really love me? Is Jesus not powerful enough to take away all of my problems? But you recognize after a year, this is not what I signed up for. I was told I would get this, and I didn't get it. And you're not content, you're not happy, fill in the blanks. So then whatever happens, you look for some other gospel, you look for some other method, some other way. Intentionally or not, if that person said, come to Jesus and all your problems go away, they did not sell you the gospel of the Bible. It might have sounded like good news, but it's not the good news that is promised of us in the scripture. Let's review the gospel. God is holy, and that's a good thing. We are sinners, and that's not a good thing. God is a holy, just, righteous God. And because he's holy, he has to take a strong stand for sin. Sin's not a little thing. Sin is cosmic treason against the God of the universe. That's a very big deal. So we as sinners deserve punishment. Deserve. It's what's owed to us for what we have done. Here's where the good news comes. God's not just holy, he's also loving. And this loving, gracious God loved us enough that he sent his son to this world. According to Galatians, he sent him at the perfect time. And we are sinners, but Jesus is not. Jesus completely obeyed and fulfilled God's holy, righteous standards. So God, as the just God who has to punish sin, He's not a holy, just God if he just overlooks the sins that have been committed against him. The sin has to be punished. And Christ came and was willing to pay that debt. We just sang it. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And because he took that punishment in full, paid our debt in full, we can be forgiven. That is really good news. So eternity is promised to us as a result of that good word, of that good news. God is with us right now. That's amazing. The future we have to look forward to in eternity is without any problems. And that's wonderful. But God did not falsely advertise the gospel. The inner, eternity is great, but God did not say, come to Jesus and all your problems on this earth will go away. He kind of said the opposite. What we're going to study today, it, it, it carries over from what Pastor Brian told us last week. This is still this, he's still preparing the disciples to be sent out as his workers in the kingdom. And like Pastor Brian said, this is not the easiest text. This is probably not the one the pastors would choose if they could choose any text for Easter Sunday when there's extra people. This probably isn't the text. But it's God's word. And it's worthy of being studied. And there's definitely truth here for us. And what we have here is the life of the, gospel, of the disciple. To use human terms, this is what you signed up for. Those of you that have put your faith and trust in Christ alone, that's good news. And there's wonderful things before us in eternity 
this life is still tough. Let's look at what we have before us. And this is, these are strong words we see. In Roman numeral 1, first thing we beware in this text, we beware wolves. Verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You look and you see four different wildlife creatures mentioned in just this verse. Sheep, wolves, serpents, and doves. Sheep is used in several different ways in scripture when it's uh, used in a symbolic way to talk about us as his people. Sometimes it's used in a not very flattering way. Sometimes when God's people are called sheep, it's in the regard of we are kind of clueless and helpless and we need a shepherd. So there's the good news, God's our shepherd, then there's the bad news, we're kind of helpless. Sometimes sheep is used of God's people in a good way, uh, like later on in Matthew, we're going to see the separation of sheep from goats. And in that situation, it's a very good thing. God's people are called the sheep, and those that rejected God are, are the, are the uh, goats. And so that separation is a very serious thing. So in that passage, to be a sheep is a good thing. In this passage, sheep is very, we, we get our understanding of what sheep means because of the wolf's thing. So the, the focus is, in, that, in this situation of being sheep, is on what the wolves are going to do. And without knowing much about wildlife, we probably know if there's wolves around sheep, we know who the hunters are. And we know the prey. Okay, so in this regard, very important. So again, as, as Jesus sends them out, he's not saying, I'm sending you out as the conquerors who are destroying others. In this situation, are, are we overcomers? You better believe it. But we are surrounded by those that want to consume us, that want to devour us. And we're going to very much see, as we go through this passage, very strong dividing lines. And that might make us uncomfortable. But God gave these lines. There are those in his kingdom, of his kingdom, and there's everybody else. And within that everybody else... There are those with such a severe hatred for God and his kingdom. It's not just a, I don't like what you stand for. It is a, I must destroy what you stand for. We're living in a world that likes to say they're tolerant. What don't they tolerate? Where do they draw very strong lines? This. You people that stand for Jesus need to change. You people that say the Bible is the standard, you're the problem. Everybody else can do this tolerant stuff. Now you guys be tolerant. And you guys accept everything else. There's a dividing line. And there's a, there's a, a seeking to devour. So Jesus prepares the people. And again, he uses two different animal analogies. First one, be wise as serpents. My first take when I'm seeing serpent in scripture, my first thought goes to the garden. And, and in that situation, obviously, serpent's not a good thing. So when, he, when he's saying be as wise as a serpent, he's not making the connection to the garden. Be as wise as Satan was when he tempted. We're not going there. The, the, the reference to being wise as a serpent now, again, when we think of the animal kingdom, serpents, 
they are always aware of their surroundings. They are always aware predators might get me. Their guard is always up. So we, as the sent out ones of Jesus Christ, we have to be aware of the fact wolves are out to get you. Christians have been forgiven so much. Christians are told to love. And, and sometimes, maybe we as Christians, we go so far that we almost get into the, the gullible, naive place. And if we weren't here, and if we were flipping through the stations, and if we were watching somebody else saying they're presenting a gospel, how much on Sunday morning of their gospel might be someone who's encouraging you, hey, lovers of Jesus, give me your money so I can do this, when we really know... If they get our money, they're going to buy another jet. They're advertising to Christians. They're not saying we're with the Mormons. They're not saying we're with the Muslims. They're not saying we're atheists. They're saying we're followers of Jesus. So you other followers of Jesus, get on board with us and give us your money. There are people whose guard is not up. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. We love them. We want to serve them. We want to encourage them. Please be aware there's wolves. There are wolves that want to hurt you. There are wolves that have no problem taking advantage of you and taking advantage of your weaknesses. This is part of the reality of being a disciple. So like a serpent, be aware they're out to get you. If Jesus stopped there, Christians might be kind of jerk-like. Okay, there's wolves around me. I got to be like a serpent. So maybe our guard is always up. And maybe somebody new comes into church. I'm like, I don't want to welcome them. I don't know them yet. What if they're one of the wolves? <laughs> Fill out this 400-page questionnaire and we'll see if we can trust you. Jesus doesn't stop there. Along with understanding there's wolves, along with understanding people want to consume you, have your guard up like a serpent, but be harmless as a dove. I don't know how many creatures in the animal kingdom are more harmless looking than a dove. This carries with it the idea of, and we see this throughout scripture, being above reproach. If you're not familiar with that, that term, the Bible says, be holy for I am holy. We're very well aware of our lives. We're not holy in that regard. We're not perfect. But we should seek to be loving, gracious, God-honoring people with a reputation, a good reputation, a reputation that is such that if accusations came our way, people that know us, their first thought wouldn't be, oh yeah, I saw that coming. Their first thought would be, not them. No, I, I can't believe that. And it's, again, it's not because they're naive, it's because they've seen our lifestyle and they, they've seen the way we live, the way we love the Lord and love others, and we're not perfect, but we just have a, 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 a reputation of being above reproach. Let's read a couple of verses from Scripture. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I used to say this verse to my high schoolers at least once a year. Those ones that were, they were thinking about college, they were thinking about their career. I'd say, you really want to make an impact in the world? Look at Philippians 2. 
You want to bless your boss, you want to bless your coworkers, be a hardworking employee that doesn't complain or argue. That's it. And watch how you set yourself apart from so many of your coworkers by just being someone who doesn't complain and doesn't argue. That's not, there's other times maybe Jesus asked a lot of us, this is not that much. This goes to giving you that above reproach reputation. As, so you're, we're going to keep reading. There's going to be people that are going to want to argue with us. There's going to be people that want to fight with us. That want to rile us up. You don't need to go there. You're a follower of God. And in the midst of that severe against you, you can still be harmless as a dove. The wolves can be out to get you and you can show forth the light of Christ in those situations. So Roman numeral one, we beware the wolves. Roman numeral two, we beware men. Verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. We see councils, we see synagogues. Remind, remind ourselves who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to primarily Jews who are going to be sharing the gospel to primarily Jews. So when, when Jesus is talking about you're being delivered to the councils, you're being delivered to the synagogues, this persecution we're hearing right here, this is from quote-unquote religious people. They say they're followers of God. They say they're lovers of this book, of this gospel. But their actions are so severe against you, they're doing everything they can to destroy you and bring you down. And doing so with the name Christian attached to them. Jesus warns of this in other places. John chapter 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming. Whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. We know our New Testament, we say, that's Paul. Paul's testimony before he came to Christ, he was the one with that great zeal for God that he thought. He was arresting the Christians. He was putting them before the synagogues, putting them before the councils so they would be beaten and thrown in prison. And he was doing so thinking he was honoring God. And again, these people are still out there. We have our guard up. We understand this is what we were sent to do with a good message, but there will be those against us. So there will be religious persecution, verse 18. You'll also be delivered up uh, before governors and kings for my sake. So here we have the idea you'll also, you won't just get a persecution that's religious in nature. You can be prepared to get a, a persecution that's political in nature. You can get, uh, they'll use judicial means to bring you down. Uh, they'll use the law to, to, to attack you and attack what you stand for. Now, we're Americans. We have the First Amendment. First of all, I am proud to be an American. I think the Bill of Rights is one of the most remarkable human documents ever written. It's amazing. Jesus did not promise us the Bill of Rights. That was a man-made document. 
So if we're getting persecution in America and we're raising our hands saying, wait a second. What about my First Amendment rights? As an American, we can stand and say, hey, let's seek that protection. But as a Christian, when that persecution comes, I'm not surprised. Jesus said it was coming. This is what I signed up for. Do I want religious freedom? Yes. Do I expect it? No. Do I expect the law to be on my side for being a Christian? No. Do I pray for it? Yes. Do I hope for it? Yes. Do I hope the First Amendment you know, carries weight? Absolutely. Jesus got persecuted for what he stood for. I can't expect anything less. Verses 19 and 20 give, uh, to help the, understand the history will help a little bit. Let's read verse 19. They will, when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So if you look at your notes, there's other verses you can look up this week where we see other instances of the Holy Spirit helping God's people say the right thing at the right time. Some of you are probably can point to times at that. Yeah, somebody came up and all of a sudden I started sharing the gospel. I don't know where that verse came from. I wasn't ready for that. Uh, that, that is something the Holy Spirit does within us to understand the history. If you were accused of things at this time, there was the, the court's favored eloquence. So maybe you weren't a very clean, clear speaker. So you were allowed to hire an orator who could then present the message on your behalf. You know, so we, we would hire lawyers in our situation. I don't know the laws, I don't know the legal stuff, but I can pay the lawyer and the lawyer can defend us and stuff like that. So in this day, very common, if something came against you, you could hire the orator. So with Jesus saying, let it be you. He's saying, don't do the way of the world in this situation and hire the orator. Trust the Holy Spirit enough, even when those false accusations come. Even when it looks like everything's against you, he says, do not worry. If you've been with us for a few months, you're thinking, hey, I've heard that before. At least three different times in the Sermon on the Mount, we saw the phrase, do not worry. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the clothes. Don't worry about if you have enough. Seek God's kingdom. And that phrase, do not worry, it's said in such a way, again, with the same idea of being aware of your surroundings, one of the things we as God's people are supposed to be aware of, be aware of the worry in your life. And when worry comes, take it and cast it from you. Worry has no place in your life as a child of God. Reread those verses, though. Jesus, you just said, I'm a sheep surrounded by wolves. Jesus, you just said, the religious people are out to get me, the political people are out to get me. And Jesus says, do not worry. Is the Christian life a life with no problems. No, it's not. But is the Christian life a life 
where you have permission from God to cast your worries aside. Yes, it is. Roman numeral three, beware of family. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put, put to death. The uh, gospel is amazing. The gospel can bring true unity. It can bring a unity so deep that, that two people, two groups of people that couldn't be more different, different ages, different parts of the world, different economic conditions, as different as could be, but through Jesus Christ, you can have a true unity. It's incredible. The same gospel that brings that incredible unity also divides the closest relationships. Coming to Christ is coming into the light. Coming to Christ is having life. And that means you're different than everybody else that doesn't have that life. And that includes those that you're closest to. And we could go around this room. And we could all share of people near us that just pains us so much because they don't know Christ. Parents, children, kids, in-laws, cousins, nieces, fill in the blanks. And some of us could go into details of because of your coming to Christ, you're not welcome at family functions anymore. You can't come to Thanksgiving anymore. Because I stand for Christ. I'm not welcome at Christmas anymore because my heart's burden is, is to share and to my family, I'm the traitor because I turned my back on the old religion that our family stands for. And in this passage, the, the dividing line is so strong. It's not just you're not welcome at Thanksgiving anymore. It's the dividing line is so strong. They're seeking to put you to death for your stand for Christ. paralyzingly hard. It hurts. It, 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 it's uncomfortable. Jesus is preparing his disciples honestly. No false assumptions. You're a disciple. This is what it is. And when you come to Christ, not everybody's going to be okay with it. And that includes people close to you. Had a good friend of mine, worked for Campus Crusade, did uh, two tours in East Asia. He couldn't say the country because it's a country closed to the gospel. And he and a small team, they went and they shared the gospel in the dorms where they lived. And both times he went, he had a similar experience where in their sharing of the gospel, the young college age person is hearing it and says, wow, 
Yes, I love that. Yes, I want to turn to Jesus. And obviously they're really excited and they set him up with a, a prayer group, try to help them with discipling and, and try to get a program set up so they can meet with them regularly and share the gospel with them regularly and, and go through the word. And after a few weeks, they didn't see that person anymore. And they weren't coming. And so my friend made those efforts to try to find, hey, what happened? Where are you? And uh, both times, the message was, in essence, I told my parents about Jesus. And they said no. And I can't go against my parents. I can't be divided from them. So I can't be with Jesus. To say it differently. It's more important to me that I have family unity here for this small window than that I have unity with Christ for eternity. Luke says, Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, count the cost. And these people counted the cost. And they said, Jesus isn't worth it. The Christian life is hard. Anybody that told you otherwise is lying. Roman numeral four. Be prepared to suffer like Christ. Verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You see at the end of verse 22, he who endures to the end will be saved. You see at the end of verse 23, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Both of those phrases are ridiculously controversial as to what that's talking about, timing-wise and, and, and what it means. Really, really brilliant people of God have disagreements on what that means. I am not as smart as them. I will not tell you what it means. I will give you resources if you want to look that up. Whatever it means doesn't change the force of, of what's being said. So the rest of our lesson, we'll look at what the other things that Jesus is saying to try to get the feel for this passage. So again, verse 22, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. People generally like to be liked. And that's not wrong. Uh... Maybe you're like, well, I don't, maybe I don't really care if they like me, but I'd like to be respected at least. And it's nice. But be careful what you're looking for from the world. And if your pursuit is for the world to like you, you got to ask yourself, what are, what are you going to have to do to be liked from the world? What are you going to have to be to be liked from those who hate Christ? And, you know, I, 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 I'm saying strong words, and please, please be with me. I know we all have dear people near us that are not saved, and, and we love them, and we're friends with them, and we have a good relationship with them, and I, I, I don't, you know, there's a line. The line does not have to be, do not ever talk to non-believers. The line does not have to be, do not be friends with, with non-Christians. We're, we're not going there, okay? So, so please hear me. I've got good friends that are, that are not saved. I've got family members uh, that are not saved. 
our getting along is usually based on how strong I stand for the gospel. And the, the more I speak this, the more I go back to this, the more I steer conversations towards the gospel so I can share the gospel, the more that comes up, the more they turn from me is my experience with this. And if I play just the nice guy, because again, again, I'm not, <laughs> the Bible doesn't call us to be jerks as Christians. Okay, I, I want to be kind to people. I want to be loving to people. I want to serve people. I want to hold the door open for you whether you're a Christian or not. I want to drive respectfully around your car on the freeway whether I'm a Christian or not. But if there's a conversation that deserves God to be a part of it, I should bring God into that conversation, no matter what it does to my relationship. And if they're not a follower of God, prepare for the hate. Because here's what the gospel says, folks. If the gospel says we need Jesus, then the gospel says your way is wrong. The way you want to do it, the way you would like it to be done, your method, your system, not good enough. And nobody wants to hear that. You can't make that sound different than it is. If we make it sound different, we're giving a false gospel. The gospel's not Jesus plus these things you do. Jesus plus these things you want to hold on to. The gospel's Jesus. God is holy. You need help. It's Jesus. The world will reject that. How do I know? Because it rejected Jesus. So I can't expect less. If I have in my mind, well, if I say it this way, and I, I, I'm this nice and this kind of person, then it's more pleasing, then it's more acceptable. Folks, Jesus was the perfect teacher. Keep reading Matthew. How many times was Jesus rejected? This is the reality. Letter B, you do have permission to flee persecution. When we read the book of Acts, we see that. In verse 23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. So, if God called you to stay, stay. If God called you to leave, you're allowed to leave. You're allowed to, to you don't have to just stay within the persecution. I was just talking to a brother this week about you know, the, the wisdom of Jesus, where there were times where Jesus continued talking, and there were times Jesus had the wisdom to, to walk away from the situation. So, we, we want to grow in that discernment to know, do, do I stay here and continue? Do I go either way? Whether you stay or you go, it doesn't say stop the mission. You're still a disciple. So the question is, am I a disciple here or am I a disciple somewhere else? Am I God's faithful messenger here? Or is God calling me to be a faithful messenger somewhere else for a time being? Verse 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher. The end of verse 25, if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, if you're not familiar with that phrase, that's a demon phrase. They're calling Jesus a demon. Let me say that again. 
They're calling the Son of God a demon. How can we expect anything less? The verse at the bottom of your notes, that's a, my dad read this verse at our men's breakfast a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, and as I'm hearing, I'm like, that, that fits so well with this passage. We all know John 3, 16. This is John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. This is the reality, brothers and sisters. Whether we're comfortable with it or not, there is a dividing line in this world. There are those saved by Christ and everyone else. Those saved by Christ have a new life. And that new life, that new morality that they're finally living out as they should, as we should, that is repulsive to the dark. And they will hate you for it. Is the Christian life easy? No. Is the Christian life a problem-free life? No. Is the Christian life good? Very. Very. Only life with Christ provides that true joy and peace that we all need. Only life with Christ fulfills us. And brings us that satisfaction that we all crave. And is this life hard? Yes. But in Christ we recognize that hard it has a purpose. It's not just this randomness that's afflicting me. God loves me so much that these hard things that happen, happen for my good. They happen to purify me and make me more like Christ. And as hard as this life is, it's wonderful preparation for the life to come. And that's good. The gospel has really, really good news for this life and the life to come. As we look at the gospel, we look at God's word, we see what that really means in this life. And by God's grace, what it really means in the life to come. How blessed we are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're thankful, Lord, that you love us enough to be honest with us. You didn't trick us into the gospel. You didn't lie to us to make us believe something. You you, you loved us enough to be completely true. You tell us in your word what we have to look forward to just in life in general, but also as, as your children. Father, it's an honor to be adopted into your family. It's it's a pleasure and a privilege to be workers in your kingdom. But it's a hard work. So we, we beg you for your Holy Spirit to empower us for this work. We, we beg you 
to fill us with a peace that surpasses all understanding in these trying times. We heard in Sunday school today about Elijah's trials and, and his, his depression. And it hurt him so bad, but we saw, Lord, how, how you came to him in his time of need and, and gave him just what he needed. And that's what we pray for, Lord. Your people that, that are hurting, your, your people that are, are feeling the depth of that depression, please, Lord, please empower us and give us peace and give us understanding. We can only do these things through you, so we pray for you to be with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.